G'day and welcome back to the My Peak Podcast, home of holistic development. Another cracking episode today. We have another professional athlete on. But first of all, Brownie, how are you, mate? Good, thank you, Cameron. Thank you, everyone, again for joining us today. A very exciting episode. We have Tom Rogers joining us from the Melbourne Renegades. Awesome. This is a really good insight for you to take away what it, what's required at the next level. Tommy's going to delve into a few lessons about how he's had to make a few interstate trips or changes for the benefit of his own cricketing career. Yeah, Tommy speaks about um, a couple of setbacks as opportunities, which is something we're really looking forward to you guys hearing. We hear about what it's like to be captained by Aaron Finch and Matthew Wade, and we also look into Tommy's personal life and how he balances both work and cricket. Yeah, Tommy's one of those players that didn't just get straight into a contract and was able to train all year round. He's had to balance life outside of cricket, working a full-time job, and now becoming a dad as well. So plenty of things that you can take away on how he balances his life outside of cricket. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Tom Rogers. G'day, everyone. We're very lucky today to be joined by Tom Rogers. Tommy, thanks for jumping on, legend. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Tommy, we're just interested to see where you're at at the moment, what's happening. Obviously, there's no cricket being played, so what's going on in your life day to day? Yeah, no no cricket being played by me, but there's a hell of a lot of cricket going on uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, my KO subscription is getting a serious workout. Um, so for me, um, you know, I'm... I'm just uh, crossing my fingers and hoping and waiting uh, that someone needs a fast bowler overseas at some point in time uh, over the next few months. So uh, I'm putting away down here in Hobart in the indoor centre uh, at Bell Reeve and, and in the gym. Um, so trying not to give myself, I guess, the traditional off-season break um, and, and keeping things ticking over whilst, I guess, uh, from an SNC point of view, trying to um, get a little bit stronger in this period where there is a little bit of um, time off feet from a game perspective. Yeah, very good. And Tommy, you've always been someone that's, you know, balanced, I'd say life out of cricket pretty well. You've always had your professional career. How are you doing that at the moment in terms of, you know, Tommy outside of cricket and then Tommy in cricket? Yeah, I think, um, so, so I, I, I've got a teaching job, um, away from cricket or away from the big bash, I guess, um, which works reasonably smoothly across the year. Um, I kind of split it into the first semester and the second semester, I guess, um, with a, a lot of build-up to the season, um, I guess, getting pretty serious from almost August now. I drop mm-hmm. down to about a proper part-time load, so I'm able to jump into Bell Reeve and bowl at the Tigers boys um, on some, some quality facilities um, on turf because in Hobart it's – it's pretty cold majority of the year, so they need to um, prop up a marquee um, to get the conditions right to, to mm. grow the grass for the wickets and get them hard enough. Um, and then for the for the front half of the year, once the cricket season's sort of dying down around March, that um, that allows me to sort of work a little bit more. So I might bump up to uh, another class and um, get a little bit more teaching hours under my belt. But as when it comes around to that prepping for the cricket season, um, you know, I've got to take a little bit of time off and dedicate a bit more time to the cricket and leading into the big bash in December. Yeah, beautiful. And Tommy, you, you're someone that's had a bit of experience in a few different states. You, you mentioned down in Hobart now, you're obviously playing big bash for the Renegades after a 
very successful season last year, but you've also spent some time here in Sydney. So what's what's your pathway sort of look like and how have you ended up where you are now? Yeah, it's uh hasn't been the smoothest of journeys. There's plenty of stops along the way, mate. But um honestly there's been so many learnings and, and through going through uh different teams and different states, uh, I've been able to meet so many different people from you know, different walks of life and who have gone through different cricketing journeys themselves as well. And been fortunate enough to I I think experience some of the best coaches of the game. Uh, throughout my journey, uh, through a little bit of design, but through a little bit of luck as well. Um, but I guess a, the a short wrap-up of the journey, I, I grew up in, in Canberra, uh, went to school there, played my cricket, cricket there mm. uh, until the day I finished year 12, 17, uh, which roughly coincided with playing a game against a New South Wales second 11 team, which was pretty star-studded at the time. We, we were playing for ACT Comets versus that team. It was a bit of a um, practice game um, set up outside of the Futures League competition. And, and they had the likes of Scott Coit, Sean Abbott, Usman Kawaja, um, Don Thornley was playing um, and a couple of other pretty pretty big names. Um, mm. And and I, I remember thinking, geez, if, if these guys can't make the top team at the moment, <laughs> that... <laughs> That uh, that competition must be pretty serious up in Sydney. So I, I went home and, and sorted out my uni applications to get somewhere in Sydney um, so I could be up there playing in that competition. At the time, I thought that was the the best way to, to improve my cricket and mm. to pursue a career in professional cricket. So um, once year 12 was done, packed up the car, headed up to UNSW. Um, fast forward six years, um, of playing cricket in Sydney um, at a couple of different clubs and playing second eleven with the Comets, I got an opportunity to come down to Tassie and play with the Hurricanes and and Tasmania. Um, signed a couple of year contract there, went pretty well my first year, um, and then I guess the next couple of years was uh, in and out of the sides um, with a few injuries along the way and um, lost my contracts after four years. Um, and then back on the teaching front, um, so re-registered there, started teaching in Tassie and, um, yeah, had oh, snuck on with the last contract with the Hurricanes uh, two seasons ago and, and had a pretty good year with them and then um, signed on with the Renegades. And here we are, I guess, short version. Here you are, yeah, and set the world on fire a little bit last season. It was great to watch you, Tommy. And, I mean, just to unpack that, um sort of the the last 12 or 18 months, that transition from, you know, the the Tassie Tigers or the Hurricanes to the Renegades, what were the biggest challenges or what were the most exciting things you found transitioning franchises in the Big Bash? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there, there definitely was some challenges and some massive exciting parts as well. I think the, the, the newest element to me in that experience was, um, actually going to a franchise, I guess, with a, a little bit more expectation and responsibility to, mm. to do well rather than mm. signing on as another base contract player, um, which I'd kind of I'd kind of just been hanging on and clawing on for a while. Um, and and that, that probably showed in my first couple of performances um, in the competition with the Gades. Uh, you know, I, I really wanted to make a good impression and, and do well. 
um, for the team and, and repay a bit of faith that they'd shown in me. Um, you know, and it's it's an annoying game at times when you uh, you get in that mold where you know, the more you try, the harder yeah. it gets. Yeah. Um, and, and fortunately, game three or four, we, we had a little bit of a sticky wicket, so I was able to just kind of roll in and bash the wicket and get a little bit of seam movement and get a few poles under my belt. And and from there, it, I felt a little bit more comfortable. It was nice to get, uh, I think it was three or four wickets and you know feel a little bit more at home and felt like I belonged. Um, and I think I think the coach even said that after the game. I was, look, I can tell you're trying your hardest these first three games. It's <laughs> nice to see you get some rewards so you can just relax and, and do you. We don't want you to do anything new uh, from why we signed you. We signed you to do what you've been doing. Tommy, coming from the Hurricanes, you would have played under a bit of Matt Wade, I reckon, and then going to the Renegades, playing under Finchie or Finchie did Finchie captain the team? Was he? Yeah, uh, or Maddo well, Maddo, was, and then he Maddo got injured. That's right. And he got injured. Yeah. Yeah. So what are what are the best qualities about those two guys? They're mm. two guys that are very well respected as best some of the better captains in world cricket, let alone Australian cricket. Yeah. No, that's a that's a well phrased question, and um. I love playing with and, and under both of those blokes. Mm. Um, and I guess first and foremost, because they love winning. Um, yeah. And and they they back their teammates to the cows come home and they have as hard a expectation, well, harder expectations on themselves than anyone. Um, so, so you know, they're, they're working their backsides off to win as much as anyone. Um, and I, I just find that really easy to follow and, and respect as a teammate. Yeah, that's, then, that's good. Sorry, I guess, I guess you throw on, um, you know, that, that's a very, I guess, I guess, a basic quality, but then there's the 20 years plus of professional cricket, mm-hmm. um, under the belt as well, which, yeah, we could talk for hours and hours about their uh, knowledge of the game. Um, but yeah, that, that's I think the the number one was that that's that easy follow, easy to follow part, easy to look up to players. Do they do they fill you with a lot of confidence, Tommy? Is there? You know, I felt sometimes playing under captains, you feel a little bit of pressure, and then the best captains you play under, you've almost got this fearless element. Do they sort of instill you instill in you to to be fearless and just fill you with that confidence you need to perform? Yeah, I think definitely, definitely instilling confidence into the team. Um, you know, I know going back six years, even so, when when Wadey came, George Bailey was captain of Tassie at the time, but Wadey had just been dropped from the the Aussie team. It's when they picked Payne in the Aussie team, um, and you know, it was it was kind of like the weight was weight was off his shoulders a bit, and he's just amongst the team, just wanting to win games of cricket. Um, and, yeah, that that was a – it was probably Tassie's best shield season uh, for the last little while as well, I think. And I think the rest of the team had that confidence with him. He was batting at six as well. You know, it's a pretty tough place to bat. And the way he came in, he, he used to just come in and, and just take, <laughs> take it on. He just seemed so free in his in his approach. Um, I'm actually going on a bit of a tangent here, mate. I've forgotten your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. The, I'm, the I'm looking out the window. Just, fantastic. I'm looking out the window, just replaying scenes in my head of cricket. I've woken up on a um, 
Thursday morning after Origin and we're smack bang talking <laughs> cricket, mate. How good. You're on fire, mate. Matty Wade can do that to you. I do that with Matty Wade's <laughs> innings in my head all the time, Tommy. <laughs> While we're just on some of the best players in the world, Tommy, you're obviously playing with and against these guys all the time. What is it that you see that can set these guys apart to go to that next level? Is there, you know, an element of preparation? Is it mindset? Is it is it purely ability? What do you see that that sets these guys apart a little bit? Um, I think no doubt there's there's a, a solid combination of all of those factors. Um, I think I think the solid preparation or almost flawless preparation allows um, players to. Uh, I guess from the outside, and you, you or watching the game, you'd almost say careless, but it's not careless because they're so well prepared and confident in their ability. Um, and those best players are so knowledgeable out, about the game and, mm. and what situation that they're in that those, I guess, traditionally careless approaches aren't aren't that. They're they're so well thought out mm. um, to fit that situation, and they're so well prepared for it that the mindset or perceived mindset is that they're so free in the way they're playing the game, which, and when players play like that, which as you're saying, is the best players in the world. It's beautiful to watch. Mm. Yeah. And that's awesome. And a phrase we hear all the time, Tommy is like players knowing their role in a team. Mm. Do you mind just kind of outline your role at the Renegades? And if that changes from game to game, or if it even changes throughout a game as well, mm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I was pretty excited about um, when I first uh, made contact with the Gades is um, they seemed really clear on where they wanted to use me. Um, mm. And and that was kind of where I'd done well for the season with the Hurricanes. That's, I was bowling in the surge and bowling in the death and, mm. um, you know, pending situation, um, get one up early um, in mm. the power play. And I really, really like bowling that over in the power play and swinging it around a bit. Um, but that that role actually did change a little bit uh, across the season just gone because we had Keel and Majib, um playing with us early, um, two spinners, yeah. and, and they were going really well. So they'd, they'd bowl a lot of the overs in the power play and especially overs one and two, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And traditionally for me, I'd pretty much always just bowl the first over um, because I could swing the ball uh, quite a bit. So... Um, didn't, didn't touch a new one for about the first four games, I reckon. Um, and then they shipped out. Um, and so we kind of changed the overs. We were bowling a little bit. Um, and then the role I I finished with, which is the role I like was, was bowl that first over, try and set the tone. Um, so I guess you don't want to go for too many runs, but you, you want to get that ball up there, get it moving and do your best to take a wicket or two. Um, and then, depending on when they take the surge, if they take it straight after the straight after the tenth over, get on bowl that surge over, um, and then leave two for the death. Tommy, you've um played a fair bit of cricket now um, in the Big Bash, obviously with and without the surge. Tell me what's a what's an insight into when the the surge first came in, and and what's your sort of uh, opinion on it now that it's been in the game for a couple of seasons. Yeah, I think um, the first the first big talking point when it first came into the game was, um, I guess, from the bowling side of things, was is it best to go a split field? Mm. So put mm. a man out at deep cover point and and in front of square, mm. uh, or should you 
uh, make it completely, I guess, predictable and put two on one side of the field, put a square leg in a cow corner or cow corner and mid on, or put two blokes on the offside and, and bowl on the wide line. Mm. Um, that that has changed as it's gone on the seasons. There's, there's blokes who prefer one or the other, and a lot of the time it chops and changes depending uh, dimensions and ground sizes as well. Um, and then on the batting side of things, um, I was with the sixes at the time this uh, rule first came in. I didn't play any big bash that year, um, but when I was hubbed up with the, with the sixes the year they won their second in a row, I think. Um, and and that was phenomenal. Like that's they they got a quality list um, and good coaching staff as well. So that was a pretty cool environment to just be there training and and listening. Um, yeah. But they were. They were wondering whether we take it when we've got momentum um, or do we just take it in the 19th and 20th over? Because uh, I think after the first couple of games, it resulted in two wickets lost in two yeah. mm. overs when the team's going really well. Um, and then I, th- I think a couple of them were like, well, stuff this. Let's just keep playing normally. And we'll just take it in overs 18, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Uh, let's not think about it because it's just stuffing our game up, which we know is so good anyway. As a as a surge bowler, Tommy, do you go in with like you spoke about having the split field or stuck in one side of the field? Do you go in knowing like roughly what batters you'll be bowling to in the surge and having that plan, or is it kind of like talk to the captain when the surge gets taken and go from there? Yeah, some some guys are different. I like to be pretty well well prepared and, and do my rep. Uh, research on opposition players. I like to kind of make two or three dot points on each player. Um, and, you know, because you know, my game's my game's the same all the time. I, I don't need to make dot points on my game. Um, mm. So I'm pretty comfortable that I know what, what I'm going to do in certain stages. But um, just two or three dot points on each bat is enough for me. Uh, specifically to the surge, um, what's becoming a little bit annoying is there's a lot of batters who are starting to ramp, uh, <laughs> which, which when you stick two fielders out, makes it pretty bloody hard. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, and and I think the batters are getting a lot better at the surge. Yeah. I'd like to see the numbers on it, but I'm pretty like last year it looked like the batters um, took the Mickey out of it. There was yeah. seemed to be a lot of runs scored, a lot of kind of thirty plus from the two overs, mm. uh, 30 plus runs. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know, make you make a couple of points and, and stick to your strengths and, mm. and hopefully set a field that works, but it's, it's a, a little bit of a luck, uh, that surge. Hopefully you get two new batters rather than two set batters as well. Yeah. So you seem pretty calculated in your preparation and things like that, Tommy. And we mentioned that you had a really good season last year. What does a prepar- a preparation for a game look like? Uh, for you, let's say two two days out, and then maybe the morning of the game. How are you preparing to be ready when you get out on that field? Yeah, um, I guess let's let's start with the performance side of things. That the day before, we've usually got a, a run around on the playing ground, hmm. um, so we might um, have a pretty pretty casual sort of fielding session. Hmm. Um, it's usually uh, the skills wise, batting and bowling is pretty much down to the individual what they want to do. Um, so for me, I, I won't often hit uh, many balls, if any. Um, I, I like to have a nice nice field, nice catch. 
um, especially if you fly in to a venue. Um, so away from Marvel, you fly in Adelaide Oval, go get a couple of highballs uh, in different areas of the ground. Um, hopefully you're training at a similar time to when you're playing. Um, you know, if, if you're playing when the sun goes down at six or seven o'clock in some venues and you're on the boundary looking into the sun, um, <laughs> you definitely want to have practiced catching a few balls looking at that sun before uh, you hear 40,000 people giving it to you after you <laughs> drop one. Uh, so, so yeah, have a field. Um, not, I don't bowl a lot of balls. Um, I'll, I'll usually grab the bowling coach with one or two of the other boys and, and we'll head out to the centre wicket um, or like just to the side to get a full run up in. Um, and that's just dependent on uh, whether there's good turf facilities there or not. Um, if the training wickets are nice, you can just go on the training wickets, but it's nice to kind of run in where you're going to run in as well, or roughly where you're going to run in. Um, and then I'm, I'm big on the ice bars. I love those. So mm. jump in there. Um, physio will give me a little bit of a, a rub down the day before the game. I don't yeah. I don't usually like to get a rub the day of the game. Uh, I don't know if it's superstition, but mm. I, I, I kind of feel too almost too loose. Uh, if I get one before before a game. Anyway, last time it happened, I got whacked everywhere. So we're never doing that again. It's superstitious um, then, isn't it? <laughs> um, and then uh, then that night, I like to um, just go over those those dot points for each batter. So, oh, sorry, at training, we'll go through with the coach or the skipper, yeah. uh, do a bit of analysis on the opposition, um, write down a couple of dot points for each batter. And, um, yeah, every team has an analyst which provides um, some statistics on the batters or some video footage. Um, and that's something I might do that the night before the game or over breakfast, um, you know, go out and have some breakfast and a coffee and, and just uh, watch that and review that. And then lead into the game. If it's a nighttime game, mate, I like to have a nap in the afternoon um, and then start fire up about four o'clock um, for a seven thirty kickoff. But yeah. Roughly that's it, mate. No, that sounds excellent. And, I'm actually interested now to pick your brain a little bit for some advice or some experience. Like, for example, Tommy, what would you say would be the most important trait or strength um, for a young cricketer coming through that they should put in their tool belt that they might need to use, whether that's a mental or an emotional skill or a physical skill that they will need along their cricketing journey? <laughs> Narrowing to one is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Narrowing to one is difficult. Um. I I think the biggest thing for me would be, um, and this this is not an easy thing to do. This is definitely a practice skill, but um, accepting uh, accepting failures when learning new skills, and mm. and being being open to uh, changes as well. Um, I've, and more recently, uh, practicing new skills. You know, I think for a lot of a lot of my career, I, I practice the same skill over and over and over and again. You know, just trying to make it so perfect, and it's just like, right, that's that's pretty good. Let's yeah. try try. You know, for example, let's go right. Practice the outswinger over and over again. Make sure it's bouncing real nice off a of length, so it takes the shoulder of the bat. Um, yeah, let's 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 do that for a little while, and then let's experiment with a couple of different slower balls. Once we've got one that kind of feels all right, let's let's hone in on that for a month or two um, and see where it goes. Or it might be a season or two. 
Uh, you might work for it back end of a session uh, for a season and not actually implement it in a game until the following season. Um, but that to learn that, you need to be okay with some coaches or some people watching you uh, making mistakes and, you know, flicking one out into the side net. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're learning something, you're not going to be a pro at it straight away. It takes time. You mentioned failure, Tommy, and that's something we speak about a lot with our athletes and that it's important to fail and, the learning and the positives that come from that are obviously going to sort of leapfrog you to where you want to be. But can you sort of maybe speak about off the top of your head, one of your biggest failures in in your professional cricket life and how that maybe helped leapfrog you to whether it was a successful season last year or, you know, taking wickets in first grade, whatever it sort of leapfrog you to, can you speak a little bit, a little bit about the failures? Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, some of the, some of the biggest um, I guess technical ta- technical changes, which at first kind of make me feel like an idiot and make me feel like a horrible cricketer. Yeah, that that happened when I was playing with you at Campbelltown with Neil when I was twenty. But uh, from a professional cricket sense, uh, I guess the biggest uh, I would I don't want to use failure, but but the biggest setback and mm. and change in my career would have been when I lost my contract with Tassie um, two, two and a half years ago. Mm. Um, so thought I was, thought I did pretty well and, and you know, I wasn't getting picked for, for shield cricket or one day cricket at, at the time, but um, was doing really well with my, my club side um, down here. So I was getting pretty frustrated with it and um, injuries were coming uh, thick and fast, mate. Um but anyway, got delisted and at the time, so this was, yeah, two and a half years ago. So what am I, 27? Um, I, there was a decision to be made. It's like, well, do we keep having a crack at this, being the professional cricket scene, or do we uh, bugger it off and go full-time teaching and mm. do it six weeks over summer and two weeks every 10 weeks and catch a whole lot more fish over summer? Mm. Um that decision didn't take too much for me. I, I, I didn't think my cricket time was done uh, whatsoever, but uh, there was definitely definitely needed to be an assessment of, well, how do, we, how do we improve and get back to professional cricket? And for me in the Tassie system at the time, so Nathan Ellis was going really, really well, as he still is. Um, and, you know, having, having a fair few injuries, red ball was starting to be a little bit of a, bit of a fear or buying mm. a lot of overs which starting to be a little bit of a fear so um i i targeted white ball cricket and i thought look ellis ellis is phenomenal at what he's doing for the death with the hurricanes and tassie um but maybe there's an opportunity for someone else you know to be the death bowler with him there um so across that off season after i got uh delisted i was i was targeting just being the best death bowler um, and and boundary hitter I could be, and I was just trying to transform into a into a white ball cricketer. Um, so I I worked on two slow balls and and yorkers. That was pretty much it. Um, trying to trying to increase a little bit of pace on the outside of that, um, and then a lot of self feeder work with yorkers, playing around with some ramps and and some full swings, mate. But yeah, there, there was a lot of fundamental work. Um, you know, with you in Sydney, with Neil, um, mm. that was some foundations 
of that work. Um, mm. And you know, a lot, a lot of, and a lot, a lot of knowledge picked up along the way, which um, allowed me to kind of self-coach and work with other players outside of the professional system. Do you think if you didn't get delisted, Tom, you would have just kept doing what you're doing, trying to play Red Bull cricket, or is it? the fact that you did get delisted, it was like, okay, now I have to put all my eggs in one basket here. Yeah. I, I um, or it's probably hard I, to say. Yeah. No, no, not hard to say at all. You're, you're exactly spot on mate. That's um, that was it. That was the catalyst. Um, mm. Cause I, I never thought about purely being what white ball cricketer. Um, but it was just all those factors. I just thought it was the biggest opportunity in the state at the time. Um, was was a death white ball bowler um, because yeah. we had a lot of red ball bowl like quality red ball bowlers um, and still do. Uh, so so Sids had been down for a season. Jacko Bird was here. Um, Belly, uh, Rainbird, Lawrence Neil Smith, mm-hmm. uh, Ian Kyle's just debuted last year as well. You know, so there's there's half a dozen off the cuff um, yeah. established cricketers. And were you um, able to pick Nathan Ellis's brain? Because obviously you said you wanted to support him in his role. What kind of role did he play in you, helping you do what you do now? Um, I he he's a he's a gem to play with. Yeah, you know, mm. as we were saying with with Finchy and Wadey, you've got no doubt that he's giving his all to mm. win a game of cricket, um, which it which is just fantastic, and he's a phenomenal bloke. On top of that, um which everyone would say. and it, it, um, But I th- think um, I think we're, we're slightly different bowlers. Mm. Um, you know, especially like he's got such a different slow ball yeah. um, to me that he can, he can go to. Um, I think the most beneficial part, so I, I sat in the change rooms with him and watched our batting innings during the Big Bash. Um, and had some good discussions down there. I think so. When so we spoke about obviously bowling um, in the power play uh, and bowling, I guess throughout the twenty overs. And and he just it seems really simple. But he he just kind of also alerted me to the fact that they are just trying to hit us out of the ground every single delivery, yeah. <laughs> and especially after that first or second over of the power play. Um, the later overs of that power play, they are just going hammer and tong. Um, and he he he's not a, well, it might have changed, but he's not afraid to bowl death in the back end of those um, uh, power play overs. Um, which yeah, it's it's a simple thing, right? The batter's going hard, bowl some death, but it's just yeah. not something I've thought about. You know, yeah. I, I've got a four over old ball in my hand. I'm going to try and nick him off. Yeah, yeah. Stupid, stupid me. It's not swinging. <laughs> it's not swinging, man. It's going out of the park. Bowl is oh. Um. Anyway. <laughs> so, Tommy, as we begin to wrap up a little bit, a lot of the young athletes at my peak love listening um, to the professional athletes come on. And uh, one thing we ask is if you could sort of go back to your, say, 12, 13, 14-year-old self, Tommy, and take one bit of knowledge or a bit of skill or implement something in your game that you do now that maybe would have fast-tracked some development or taking you down a different path, what what would you go back and implement in your game? Um, I would watch the best players in the world 
more. Mm, that's um, great advice. Great advice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's, I yeah. don't know. I can't elaborate on it any more than that, mate. But I was, I was so robotic and technical, mm. um, and would just repeatedly do that, and mm. you know, that's it's just not what the best do. It, it's fluid. Um, it's free. Um, you know, and and you you need you need good coaches to foster that, of mm. course. Um, just as simple as watching a telly screen and and putting it into action, but it does help definitely. It's a and good it point. Definitely... I was just going to say, Tom, it's a good point because I mean, obviously, you and I were under a pretty similar coach for sort of our late teens, early twenties, and it wasn't probably until I moved away from Campbelltown that I sort of realized that the benefit of like what you speak about just flowing and not being so technically orientated the whole time and actually learning the art of the game, you know, who did you sort of learn that off? Like whether it was in the system or when did you start to put the pieces together that, yeah, the technique might be a this much percentage, but the actual art of batting or the art of bowling, this is what I really need to put my, my focus on now. Yeah. I, uh, well, the batting was batting was Neil DeCosta for me, and the bowling was Rene Ferdinand's, um, who was working out of Sydney Uni for my my last couple of seasons in um, in Sydney, uh, and and yeah, a, a lot of the things I've spoken about here today, and and pretty much my career is owed to those two coaches that mm. taught me the foundations of both skills. Um, not that I'm buddy Ricky Ponting with the bat, but um, <laughs> I'd be a lot worse if it wasn't for, for Neil. Um, and yeah, and Neil was a big one for me on the, the being okay to fail and make mistakes and, mm. and stripping it back and, and making it free flowing. No, that's excellent. I think we'll just about wrap it up, Tommy, but maybe just to finish, could you tell us if, if we're not going to catch you on TV or, you know, if we, we would uh, sit a, as a fly on the wall in Tommy's life, what are the other things that you really enjoy doing outside of cricket? Oh, nice mention of a fly, mate. I love my fly fishing um, oh, or lure fishing. Uh, as long as it's fresh water with a big old brown rainbow trout sticking in it, I'm happy to um, <laughs> give it a whirl. Um, but I've got a four week old little girl sitting next door. So congratulations, Tommy. Thank you very much. So I reckon that'll be me, uh, for the next 20 odd years. (laughs) (laughs) No, very good, mate. Well, thanks very much for coming on today and, uh, helping out all of our listeners with a little bit of knowledge at next level cricket and what it takes to get there. We really appreciate your time today, Tommy. Been a pleasure, mate. Thanks very much.